Hello and welcome to this podcast in the ENT Expert Opinion Series. My name is Dr Nicholas Dufus and I'm here today and coming to you from Verona, Italy with my guest expert, Professor Daniele Marcioni. Professor Marcioni is a founding member of the International Working Group on Endoscopic Ear Surgery. He's the professor and chairman at the University of Verona Department of Otolaryngology and has actively been teaching and publishing on the technique of endoscopic ear surgery for eight years. In just a few weeks, he'll be releasing a first major textbook on the topic which he has co-authored titled Endoscopic Ear Surgery, Principles, Indications and Techniques. Professor Marcioni, welcome. Thank you very much, Nicholas. So we'll start with the uh, first question today. Where did endoscopic ear surgery begin? I, I started about 10 years ago um, just in order to check the tympanic cavity when during the surgery of the cholestatoma in order to remove the disease. And after uh, I, I saw uh, the movie from Muattar Vici, the first case of endoscopic uh, approach, totally endoscopic approach, and I, I, I remember I was shocked about this video and I started to my, my first cases about uh, cholestatoma. And uh, for this reason I, I started my endoscopic procedure. Okay, and what are the benefits of endoscopic ear surgery? Of course, uh, the benefit, uh, especially when you have disease located in the tympanic cavity, and especially you can understand better the anatomy and the physiology of the middle ear during surgery, preserving the mucosas sometime during the cholestatoma surgery, preserving the mastoid when you have a good mastoid cells, and so I believe that the outcome of the patients is completely different with respect to the traditional technique. What are the current indications for endoscopic ear surgery? The, the main indications of the endoscopic transcanal approach is the cholestatoma limited to the tympanic cavity, and so I mean the past tensor cholestatoma, <coughs> or for example, uh, congenital cholestatoma, or apical cholestatoma without any extension through the mastoid. And this is the main indication. Okay, and what do you look for preoperatively, clinically and radiologically, yeah. to determine whether a patient is a good candidate for endoscopic ear surgery? It's really important to study the CT scan before surgery in order to understand if the disease is located in the tympanic cavity, in order, in order to see if the disease is inside the sinus tympani, for example, or the retrotympanic space, and also to detect residual disease in the mastoid. After this, it is really important to check the patients endoscopically in order to see the canal because you need a, a good external auditory canal in order to manage endoscopically and also you need to see the objectivity of the patients. Um, in terms of deciding whether you need a canal plasty or not, how often do you find that's necessary and how do you decide yeah, uh, the canal plastic, I believe that is necessary only when you have a really, uh, really uh, difficult anatomy in the external canal. For example, when you have a hysostosis, uh, something like this. Uh, anyway, it's uh, really rare to perform a canal plastic during endoscopic ear surgery. Have you found any contraindications to the use of endoscopic ear surgery? The contraindications is, uh, is better to, to say not indicated when the disease is located in the mastoid or in the, the, with the, some complication like uh, infiltrations of the dura of the middle cranial fossa, for example, 
or when you have a fistula of the lateral canal. In the cases, of course, the microscopic surgery is mandatory in order to remove the disease. In terms of uh, a surgeon that's just getting started in endoscopic ear surgery for the first time, what equipment do they need to get started? Yeah, you need, uh, of course, high definition monitor and camera. This is mandatory in order to uh, perform endoscopic approach. And uh, uh, starting just with a simple case, like, for example, a posterior perforations of the heogram, really simple, with a, a good external auditory canal in order to manage. And, of course, uh, the first thing to do is to understand the anatomy and performing a dissection course about endoscopic ear surgery. And in terms of the dissection equipment that uh, you need, are there any particular instruments needed? Yeah, uh, you need the curve instruments. Uh, so uh, the more important thing when you have to remove the disease from the retrotympanic space or around the tympanic cavity is to have uh, a curved instrument. We have a lot of curved instruments, panetti set for example, but sometimes are quite big for the transcanal approach and also the stored set from the um, international working group. And I believe that these kind of instruments are really useful, especially for uh, the approach to the um, uh, tympanic cavity cholestatin. Okay. How do you usually position the patient for surgery? The position of the, the patients is uh, quite the same with the microscopic technique, but you can stay in standing uh, as in the normal traditional endoscopic approach to the sinus for example or you can operate in the sitting in front of the patients without any problem the problem is when you have the disease into the sinus tympani in a really deep sinus tympani and it's called the definition sinus tympani type c and you need to change your position and you have to perform surgery in standing in the potted side with respect to the affected using the endoscope directly to the retrotympanic space. In terms of uh, anesthetic, both general anesthetic and local anesthetic use, what are your preferred parameters? Uh, I use general. General. Okay. In any case, in, in general. Yeah. And in terms of the local anesthetic you use intraoperatively to yeah. prepare the ear canal? Adrenaline solution uh, is really important to clean the surgical field at the beginning. And you have to inject the canal with adrenaline solution, and after you have to pack the canal with cotton with adrenaline solution, and just to wait a little bit, and after you can start your surgery. And you use one in a thousand adrenaline on the cottonoids? Yeah. In terms of uh, trimming the ear canal hair yeah. after you've packed, how important do you feel this is? Yeah, yes, it's important because you know sometimes the canal is not so big and when you put inside the endoscope you can have a fog in uh, doing the, the surgical uh, approach and so it's really important to perform uh, cutting the hair, hair before surgery. Yeah. What's your preferred um, removal method for bone inside the, particularly the attic region, um, such as for an endoscopic atticotomy or an inside-out mastoidectomy? Yeah, uh, the, the key in order to understand 
you need you need to know uh, the instruments, or you need to know the philosophy about the removing of the more so the instruments that you use to remove it, a curette or another instrument. I believe that one of the best tools to use during the transcanal approach is the piezo surgery device because. You know, with the piece of surgery, you have to remove just the bone, uh, preserving the soft tissue, and so you can work also very close to the facial nerves without any problem. The only problem is uh, uh, to work on the cochlea. It's better don't use the piece of surgery on the cochlea. For the rest, it's a perfect instrument for this surgery. So around the cochlea region, you'd use more uh, yeah. instruments such as a curate if you needed to remove yeah. any bone, yeah, you know, hypertympanic air cells yeah. or anything like yeah. that. Okay, um, what is your preferred method for reconstruction of the attic region? Cartilage. Cartilage is the best. Okay, and you do usually take that from the tragus if, if possible? Yeah, tragus cartilage is the best material in order to reconstruct the scooping. Okay, what are your thoughts on the potential risk to the facial nerve um, from light to heat conversion at the tip of the scope because that's been brought up as a problem with endoscopic ear surgery? I never seen problem with the facial nerve. And so, uh, in my opinion, uh, it's really rare to have some problem like this. I collected uh, several cases about uh, cholestatoma with uh, uh, with the facial nerves and prolapse of the facial nerves because of the cholestatoma. And I remember the first time I was afraid about this, uh, the heating of the facial nerve, something like this. But I never see complication on the facial nerve due the endoscope and the tip. Do you ever use uh, non-invasive monitoring of the facial nerve uh, during endoscopic ear surgery? It's not necessary because the nerve is in front of you, but when you have a really important cases, uh, like for example, a cholestatoma go into the internal auditory canal and uh, of course it's better to use. There was a, a recent publication that talked about um, the anti-fog solution used to clear the tip of the scope. Um, causing sensory neural hearing loss when tested on guinea pigs. Um, is that a concern for you? Do you think there's a way to get around this? I, yeah, I believe that. Uh, is, uh, I read this article, and, uh, but uh, I believe that is not a big issue because, uh, uh, you know, we are using regularly this antifog, but without any problem. In terms of other recent publications, there have been some for endoscopic ear surgery looking at endoscopically assisted stapedectomy or cochlear implant surgery. What advantages does the endoscope offer in these two procedures? I believe that the endoscope is a good tool in order to visualize the surgical field. And so, uh, the main problem is when you have uh, malformations and, for example, when you are performing surgery in malformated ear, sometimes you can feel that you have a problem with the microscope because, for example, you can't understand where the facial nerve run. Uh, for example, in a charge syndrome, when you have a facial nerve run in the tympanic cavity in a different way and you have a sclerotic mastoid. And in that cases, I believe that endoscopic assisted can help a lot the surgeon in order to understand better the anatomy and to perform a more safe technique. You've um, removed a number of vestibular schwannomas by drilling into the IAC transcochlea and transcanal. Um, what are your limitations and criteria for doing this? Yeah, uh, it's really important to understand that it's a new technique and uh, so it's just for limited number of cases 
and it's possible to do this when you have a schwannoma located in the fundus of the internal auditory canal in a patient with asymptomatic problems and growing. And only in that cases, and so a limited number of cases, you have to perform transcanal, transcochlear approach to the fundus of the internal auditory canal. And uh, is not possible when the schwannoma go into the angle, of course, and so there is a limited number. And in my experience, if we perform some cases about this, this technique is quite safe because just through the canal and through the cochlea, you, you needn't to remove any bony wall to the dura. And so it's really simple also to close the defect. But of course, we are at the beginning of the inner ear total endoscopic approach. So we will see in the future. And would you only use it if a patient has non-serviceable hearing? If yeah, of course, uh, uh, the hearing is uh, really important to understand. Because this approach, of course, is through the cochlea, and so uh, you need a patient with, a, with hearing loss. But you know that when you have a schwannoma in the fundus, the majority of the cases you can have a hearing loss or a poor hearing. And in terms of the size limitation, is there a maximum size that you would... It's not a question of size, but it's a question of uh, the location. If the neuroma is, uh, is in the angle, also a little bit in the angle, it's better don't use this approach, because you can have a good uh, view on the inter, uh, internal auditory canal, but not, uh, not in the angle. Okay, what resources are available to help those interested in getting started in endoscopic ear surgery? It's really important to perform course about dissections first thing. It's really important to use the endoscope in the office in order to check patients, in order to treat some patients, some medications, and so it's really important to reach the skill with the endoscope. Also, the endoscopic nose surgery is a really important background in order to have a more facility during the surgery and, uh, and also uh, to attend an important center around the world in order to see live surgery. And there's a number of these courses available every year and they're listed on the International Working Group website. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also you've got your new book that's coming out in yeah. the next few weeks, so that's yeah. a good starting resource yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, the final uh, part of this interview is um, something called the final word. It's a chance for you to just either reiterate something important that we've covered during the session or to talk about some important future directions of endoscopic ear surgery. So I'll hand over to you for the final word. Yeah. I believe that the endoscope is just a tool. The problem is just one. Uh, we are otologists and uh, we must know the anatomy of the ear and the middle ear, the inner ear, and uh, we have to be able to use a microscope, endoscope, or other tools as you please in order to reach the disease with a minimal invasive fashion in order to perform a good surgery with the benefit of uh, the patients. And the future of the endoscopic approaches probably uh, will be a future, especially for the inner ear approach, because uh, we are just start now to perform some minimal invasive inner ear surgery and because of course as you know 
the possibility to treat a huge disease, also a small disease located in the fundus of the internal uterine canal or between the genicular ganglion and the dura mater, could be a really interesting future for this technique. But I, under, I want to underline this topic that it's really important to use both instruments, endoscope and microscope, because at present we have some limitation, and you know, and the, the microscopic bases are crucial for all pathologists. Professor Nacciani, thank you very much. Oh, thank you.